Not bad. As your hair care sponsor, you guys failed miserably. <clears throat> I uh, gave them the manual with the book of instructions to follow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is, man. I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to look like this. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank you guys for having me and getting to share um, my experience and hope. Getting to share about this work. Getting to share about this program and this power called God and God's grace and God's mercy and experiencing the abundance of God's spirit in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, God separated me from alcohol on June 23rd, 1988. I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I say that because I am anything less than that would be falsely humble. It is not being said by me to separate myself from you. But it's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. It's the first promise in a big book. And we all should be talking from a place of humility about being recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Because it gives great news. It shouts great news to someone who's walking in the door thinking this is it. And I'm going to be sick and suffering forever. And some of our meetings will talk about us and almost think about a drink because you're an alcoholic and, you know, welcome to the, to the club and this is, we're going to grind out every day. And yet my book and my God has other plans for me as well as for you. But I need to identify the problem, find out what the solution is, how to experience the solution and then grow with that power called God. So I'm grateful for this uh, message. I'm grateful for the teachers who were put in my path who didn't tell me everything I wanted to hear who would ruffle my feathers regularly because it was their responsibility to pass on the truth to me. We can't lie to a drunk because then we take responsibility for hurting them. So I'm grateful for those folks. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Mark would call me up in the morning, and he, I always talk about this story. He used to call me money. I, I don't know why, but he'd say, hey, money, what's shaking? And um, I, one morning I made the fatal mistake of saying, I'm just hanging in there, Mark. Everything's okay. And he went on a tirade with me of saying, hanging in there. You have the power of God, Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, and you're hanging in there. And he just went on and on. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm saying, yeah. um, I never said hanging in there again. But I couldn't wait for one of the guys I sponsored to say hanging in there so I can just get right in there and, you know, and pretend to be a guru for five minutes. Um, but I understood why he would say that, because I don't hang in there anymore. And one of the things I learned from Alcoholics Anonymous is that uh, the external world is never a remedy for an internal condition. The external conditions are never a remedy for an internal condition. People are not the remedy. Things are not the remedy for what ails me. Because no matter how much I try to shake them and move them and tweak them, I still have alcoholism, this internal condition. And life is problematic. Life is going to change. We live in a world of impermanence. Things are going to happen. People are going to disappoint us. People are going to bring us joy unexpectedly. Jobs are going to come and go. We're going to experience death and sickness from not only with ourselves, but other people. And I cannot afford to ride that kind of roller coaster. But the thing that's permanent, that's consistent, that's constant and pristine is God. 
And I don't need to go out there. Book says, may you find him now. I don't need to get, you know, a, a, a roadmap and go search for God on the highway because the great reality is deep down within me. There may be a heaven out there one day, and I'll find out when I get called home. But right now, walking around, we find the power of God and the glory of this power called God in every one of us, including the drunk who's drinking under a bridge this morning or some guy in a crack house who's smoking crack right now. They have just as much God in them as I do now, as we do now. The difference is the conversion. And before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got this while I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, Chris talked about seven years banging and around in here. We get it. We can live with the life dominated by a thinking mind. It owns us. And everything in the external world pulls on us. And we worship that. Or we can live with a, a God-guided life. Instead of being attached to human consciousness, walk with God consciousness. It's two different worlds. It's two different lives. It feels different. It sounds different. It looks different. But I need someone to challenge my current belief systems, which all have come from years of living with others and taking it on. And we buy belief systems that don't work. We honor them. We will fight for them. A design for living that doesn't work. All coming from the mind. And the mind loves it and keeps pumping out more things that, that don't work for me. It's a manufacturer of fear. It's the great predator, my thinking mind. And I honor things that don't work for me. I've chattered a thousand voices that don't work for me. I'm fear-based and insecure. Life is problematic. I can't live life on life's terms. And my mind keeps telling me, don't worry, we'll fix it. <laughs> we'll figure this out. And who's figuring it out? The same way when they tell you, think the drink through. Who's thinking the drink through? Not the sponsor. You are. I am. And what does my mind always come up with? The double will work. I'll have a drink to figure out how not to drink anymore. And it says no human power can relieve me, relieve us of our alcoholism. I'm a human power, so are you. So meetings don't treat alcoholism. Because then what he was talking, Chris was talking about earlier, meeting makers will make it across the board. There'll be no failures. But meetings don't treat alcoholism. We come to get and stay to give. It's where we meet the common problem. We share about a common solution. But at some point, I need to be connected with God and no more separateness with this power called God, but experiencing oneness. Now, I can't come up with that on my own. Whether I'm the most scholarly man ever walked the face of the earth or not, I can't come up with that because it's coming from the mind, which is my enemy. It's the greatest predator. I'm better off fighting a hell's angels guy and let him beat me to, to ribbons because then he'll go away. But my mind will continue to step on my throat and let go, and step on my throat, and let go, and relishes the suffering that I go through. That's what the illness does. But it takes people with us. It takes the wife, it takes the husband, it takes the children, it takes the job, it takes the reputation. It takes everything. Wants me dead, will settle for me drunk. So pages 23 to 43 in the big book talk about this mind, this predator. And I, like Chris, are in the business, the treatment center business a long time. And sometimes my hair stands up, which is hard to believe, but my, <laughs> my, I'm on some of the remedies to treat addiction. And what's really frightening is it trickles into Alcoholics Anonymous and we roll over and let it fly and never challenge it. Because they may not like me if I challenge it. So I have to take the responsibility for hurting another drunk when they drink because I'm on with the facts and I never raised my hand to share. Yeah? Or I never shared the truth from a podium. 
So 23 to 43 talks about the mind. And there's a book I work with that really does a whole lot for me. It says most humans are still in the grip of the egoic mode of consciousness identified with their mind and run by their mind. If we do not free ourselves from the mind, in time we will be destroyed by it. We will experience increasing confusion, conflict, violence, illness, despair, madness. The mind is like a sinking ship. If you don't get off, you will go down with it. And someone's telling me to think to drink through and play to take to the end and remember where I come from and keep it green and goes on and on and on. Right? Yet I need this power called God. And the first 43 pages of my book are all about step one and they drive me into a corner. And what step one has, will tell me over and over and over again is that as an alcoholic, I'm going to drink. It's not that I can't drink. I will drink, but I don't know what the day is going to look like when it shows up, how much I'm going to drink and when I'm going to stop. Just know I'm drinking. And if I'm into dry goods, they'll go along with it. And making a meeting won't work. And making coffee is not going to work. And getting involved with little committees is not going to work. I'm an alcoholic, suffers from a terminal illness. All coming from this thinking mind that takes me back to that which is killing me over and over and over again. And the trickster is when I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm not drinking, thinking I'm okay, using that as a barometer to see how spiritual I am because I didn't pick up a drink, I'm a winner, yet I'm going on these sprees, all coming from my mind because the pain of living in this present moment is too great. I can't deal with me, I can't deal with you because I'm restless, irritable, and discontented, driven by a hundred forms of fear. I'm self-absorbed, I'm self-seeking, I'm all about me. You can't see that on the front end because my book says... The root of our trouble. It's underground. Roots on a tree are underground. You can't see it. I confront really well. And I'm not going to let you in because it may be discovered. And I keep returning to a thinking mind. And I'm making meetings and I'm not drinking. And I'm making more meetings and I'm not drinking. And I'm passing on some pearls of wisdom to new people. And I'm making coffee all over the place. And as soon as I leave a meeting, I'm going to massage parlors. As soon as I meet, leave the meeting, I tell the wife I'm going to be home late and I'm seeing a girlfriend. Or I'm going on a gambling spree. Or I'm completely out of shape and binging and purging on food. I went through that my first six months in AA. Binge and purge. I don't know what it was about. It was untreated alcoholism. I couldn't deal with me. I was fear-based, insecure, all coming from a mind. There was no one around to give me fear. There was no one around to bring me terror. There was no one around to feel, make me feel inadequate. It's all what my mind gave to me. The mind makes me think. It's protecting me, and all it is doing is protecting itself. And it loves drama. It loves fear. It loves drama. As crazy as it sounds, we love being in controversy. We love having something going on because it gives me a sense of self. That's who I am. Could you imagine if we removed our... We're all, a lot of us get very attached to our story. This is my story. Even civilians, let me tell you about my life. We get so attached that we think that's who we be at the core. What would happen if we removed our story from the equation? What, what are we like then? And if I can't fall back on saying, I'm, I'm a, a child of God, I walk with spirit, I am spirit, and those are things that have happened, those are circumstances, my alcoholism and my behavior is what I became as a result of. 
but not attached to my story anymore. And some of us get so attached to our story, when we start to get better and taste the waters of the spirit, it's too foreign, and we recoil, and we go right back to what we know, drama, illness, disappointment. It goes on and on and on, and the mind owns us. Because I walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, it doesn't mean I'm much better. A sick mind has walked in. You ever notice how we tell new people? who were in a grip of untreated alcoholism, we tell them this, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard it. Bring the body and the mind will follow. Now why in God's earth would we want any newcomer's mind showing up anywhere in the state? <laughs> it's the mind that keeps getting them drunk and we say, hang around, let it show up and ruin your life some more. And all I experience in the mind is resistance to this power, is resistance to the solution, because that's where the ego has free room and board. Another trickster. And it is in the, the desperation, the complete bottoming out, when no reservations are left or a lurking notion that somehow, some way, I can steer the car just a little bit longer when I'm completely out of, uh, of, of options. As awful as I feel, it's the greatest thing. I love when drunks come into my center or when they ask me to help and they're completely full of remorse and guilt and beaten to the ground because that's when we're most teachable. Because we're not listening to the solution with a thinking mind. We've been made wide open. That doesn't feel good. We're split wide open at that point. Doesn't feel good. The information we get at the beginning, this solution that we're talking about, this big book, it's a foreign substance. It doesn't feel good. The medicine does not taste good when we start. When we start writing out our first step and looking at our third step considerations and writing inventory, this is foreign. I'm used to it saying it's your fault. It's the world's fault. If I wasn't born here, if I could have, would have, should it goes on and on. I like that. I love the drama. And they tell me we have to disregard everything. Let's take your inventory. You need to get God, regardless of what the rest of the room is doing. And only in the complete breaking down and the destruction, dismantling of self will I be able to get there. Many of us die getting there. Right? 1988, I was rescued. I was surrendered because on my best day, I couldn't figure out go to Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, if the thought of AA would have crossed my mind, my mind would have said, but you went there and it doesn't work. We get rescued and surrendered, and it's God's grace for doing nothing other than being his child. I didn't earn AA. I earned my seat in here. No, I earned a spot in a graveyard. That's what I've earned. Like that seat's waiting for me. No, it wasn't. I earned jail. I earned institutions. I earned my family closing doors on me. I earned a, a spot in a graveyard. God said, no, I have other plans for you. The same reason why we were born. Besides out of an act of love from our parents, there's a reason why we came to where we came to because God had something for us. And he surrenders us from addiction and places us in, al in Alcoholics Anonymous because there's a reason why we're here. There's a journey to be followed. The path has been laid out. It's just been covered with our self and all the manifestations of it. And what the work does is clear the path. It's removal, never addition, that we can see clear, experience God, and go from point A to point B and be totally okay with where we are. And it's when the thunderbolts hit, because thunderbolts hit in life, how we're doing spiritually. Am I repeating the same thing over expecting different results? Am I clear that this power is going to restore me to sanity, wholeness of mind, to truth, to being joyous, happy, and free? Because when we're in here a while, we're not thinking about a drink, then how are we doing? 
What's my spiritual condition? What's my current condition like when a thunderbolt hits? Do I believe God can take me to a better place? Do I believe God has arranged exactly what I'm going through? And I can give you lots of stories in my doubts and skepticism and holding on to God for dear life because it was a threat of God's got other plans for me. It's easy to do one of these things or sit and with someone to talk about the mechanics of a step. You just put on a CD and mimic what you heard on a CD. I'm not looking to do that. I can read this book to you and break it down for you. I'm sure we'll do a lot of that. But what's the experience behind it? How did you, Peter, go from here to here with the mechanics? And all my teachers talked about that experience behind it. This is how I did step one, and I wrote it out in the pages I read, and this is how it was applied in my life. And not even at that moment, but six months later, a year later. We talk about turning it over in step three, and we say we're going to turn it over. Most of us really don't turn it over. We turn it over because the sponsors, are you ready to turn it over? <laughs> yeah, I am, sponsor. But don't touch money and sex. Right? <laughs> Until we're moving into four through nine, and along that way, things will happen. Life will be life. Maybe we get married. Maybe our firstborn happens. Maybe we get divorced. Maybe we lose loved ones. Where am I with God when I'm turning it over then? What's my relationship with God like then? Am I looking to go through the work again, work with someone, be consoling and compassionate to someone else, or do I take up an hour and a half of a meeting talking about my drama? Because we love drama. And we love the effect produced by the mind. We really do. Let's get into some gossip. I'll make out it's care and compassion, but I like gossiping, so let's gossip. I got drama, you got drama, we got drama together. If I don't have drama, we'll invent drama, we'll do some sort of drama, let's just have drama. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we'll talk about God, too. Right? So it's through the leveling in the first 43 pages that I get to understand what's wrong with me. And I need to know that. But someone sitting down talking to me about what step one is, threefold illness, problem solution, intellectual, okay, get that. But now we need to apply it to our experience. Experientially, did this happen to you? Based on your experience, did this happen to you? So now we can do this. What I did step one is my sponsor had me read Bill's story and then write out my story and compare notes. Thought, drank, felt like Bill, got it. That didn't make me feel much better, though. Because what am I going to do about a solution? Based on what you just told me and Chris talked about, I'm drinking and I'm doomed. And by the time we get to page 43, I'm pretty screwed because I'm drinking. I hear, I can't, he can. I think I'll let him. Like I'm a God bigger than God. No, I can. I will. I am drinking. I'm going to drink. And that's a pretty uh, uh, scary prognosis when we walk in here, when someone says, you're drinking until you die and there's no way out. You put everything in front of me that's worthwhile to me and I will push it aside for a drink. And it's just what the big book wanted. And that's where I was. June 23rd, 1988, I knew another drink was going to kill me. Now, maybe not literally, but I just knew in my heart of hearts, this is it, I'm going to buy the farm one more drink. And I didn't know how to stay sober. I couldn't even get drunk successful. All I knew was dying and I didn't want to die anymore. So when I got to treatment and I got to AA, I was made really, it was clear to me what I suffered from. But what do I do? I'm in AA my first six months and I'm like a drunk without a drink in me. And I believed in my gut I was an evil person. I was a bad person. I was a mistake. 
We're not evil. We're not bad. We do evil things. We become bad. We do those things, but it's not who we are at the core. And what the 12-step do is take me back home to that place. I will probably always be broken. Many of us, we're broken. We got the wrong software in, my sponsor would tell me. We're broken. And with the touch of the master's head, we get fixed again. And it's only through, again, complete desperation that I will seek this power called God. And he or it or she will do for me what I can never do for myself. And doesn't stop giving. It just keeps giving. This power is going to restore me to sanity, a wholeness of mind. How do I get there? Step two is appointed to the solution that I'm, at some point I'm going to arrive at this place where this power greater than me is going to restore me to sanity, wholeness of mind. Because prior to that, my life looks insane. It's the things I do before I drink, like spending nine weeks in a treatment center, discharging, and two days later, I'm drunk. When I went into this fifth treatment center, swearing off booze forever, I knew it was killing me. And on the way into that fifth treatment center, I was addicted to some non-conference approved drug goods and my marks had the proof of that my arms had the marks on my arm for that I mean I had these brown marks I had abscesses on my arms from this stuff liver damage and all other things going on with me and I said I'm not doing this anymore I can't I'm killing my family and that was made clear to me and I spent nine weeks in treatment and I talked about my dysfunctional family and my enablers <laughs> They took us for, uh, this was, I can tell you the story. They took us for um, physical therapy. And uh, it was a gym about twice the size of this with a basketball hoop on both sides. And we had crackheads in there and winos and dopines. Everyone's detoxing. They took us to a play basketball. <laughs> and so the basketball, this was supposed to get us in shape and get the endorphins popping and not make us think about using and we're all detoxed and we're all shriveled up and, and uh, the basketball there was one basketball for about 20 of us and the basketball rolled from one end of the court to the other and this is what we said I'm not getting it, you get it right? <laughs> and the basketball rolled down the thing the crackheads were going, I'll get it, don't worry about it I'll, I'll get it yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and the potheads were going, wow. Yeah. And so we didn't do anything. We went outside and smoked. Um, yeah, they took us for uh, a dance therapy. This was not good. And, uh, and they had us draw pictures of, draw pictures that represent your illness. And they uh, had to write a goodbye letter to my addiction. Well, I'm sure they meant well. And in some manual that some guy wrote, I'm sure he had some positive results with that. But I'm the guy on page 21. I can write letters all night long. And you could show me shots, charts and graphs. And until I got connected with God, I was going to drink. The problem was I had misperceptions and misconceptions about God. In chapter two agnostics, it says how this problem will arise when we talk to a new man about God. Difficulty will arise when we talk to a new man about God. The difficulty is not God with me or God with you. It's us towards God based on mis misperceptions and conception about this power called God, about my life, about this plan that I live on. So I was approaching God with old belief systems that don't work. In fact, they were having me keep away from God. And only through desperation was I willing to try your God. 
And at the beginning, it was a G.O.D. group with Drunks for Good Orly Direction. Now, that wasn't for the long haul, but when I would walk into a meeting for a while, I would feel safe in the numbers. And the old-timers would call me over, and they remembered my name. That was a great thing. It went from kid to Pete, sit with us. And they would coddle me, and they would talk to me, and they, I would look forward to seeing them at the next meeting. But the problem was I still had to go home after the meeting, me and my mind, who was waiting at the front door, and would talk to me about a lot of things. In my first six months, I was doing this binging and purging and a lot of acting out because I didn't know what to do with my idle time. What do I do? When's the next meeting? When do I go to another meeting? When am I going to see an AA, me uh, an AA member? And it's talking to me, constant chatter. It's kind of like being in a room with a really loud air conditioner. And what do you do? You talk over the air conditioner. And it's constant stream of thought. And then someone turns it off and you go, wow, that was loud. Most of us are operating with 100 voices talking at once. Anyone drive to this meeting today alone in their car? Anyone drive? <laughs> right, show of hands, right? If you think about the drive over here alone in the car, think about how many people you're really talking to at the same time, and they were talking to you, and we talk back and forth. Nobody's in the car, but they're all up in the head. And we argue with these people, we have debates with them, and then we go into an AA meeting and say, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm absolutely great. <laughs> I feel the power of God. You know, I just argued with 45 people on the way over here, and it was only me in the car. Right? So step two says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. That arrival point is different times for different people. I need to be chopping wood and carrying water. And I look at chapter two agnostics, which brings me to step two. It tells me how to find this power, lay aside old ideas and prejudice, and express a willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. Where the great reality is deep down within. I have to go out there. I just have to go in. This process is about going in, not going out. Many times we hear new people say, I was one of them. I have that hole in the soul. I feel empty. It's not that we're really empty. We're just full of self. We're loaded, and it doesn't work. And so the knee-jerk reaction is to go out there and get stuff, which kind of separates me even more from this power. What I need to be done is everything needs to be poured out. All the belief systems, all the resentments, all the disappointment, all the fear, all of it has to go. And Chris talked about the circle around the triangle. The circle, when it's complete, we are complete. By living in all three sides of the triangle, when I'm restored to sanity, where the resentments are resolved, the fear is dissolved, the ego's grinded into dust, and I stand free, the circle is now complete. At the beginning of this process, it feels God-awful. This power greater than me is going to restore me to wholeness of mind. So a group of junks for good only direction, but I was willing. And I got a sponsor, and he stopped breaking down chapter to agnostics. Where do I find this power to great reality deep down within? How? Lay aside prejudice. Even why? When many hundreds of people say that this power did for them what they couldn't do for themselves, I had to stop downing the power of God. I saw it working in you. How can I deny it? My eyes were seeing. Based on what I've been doing, how's that been working for me? People come to me to sponsor them. They give me a lot of stuff on what's been working, what hasn't been working, but they're all in this pit. And I say, how's that working for you? Not too good. Come into treatment. How's that working for you? Not too good. Based on what we've been doing, it doesn't work. Am I willing? Yes or no. And that's all that's required. A mustard seed of willingness, and we can move a mountain. We're sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous. The mountain's been moved. 
Don't leave till the miracle happens. I'm sitting in an AA meeting. The miracles happen. What am I doing to get my soul food to nurture the spirit? So different times for different people as to when we're going to get to that place of experiencing God. I can't do it by hanging around in one, nor can I do it by hanging around in two. Two is just a pointer to the solution. Wholeness of mind, truth, sanity, all synonymous, all interchangeable. When I'm experiencing God, I'm not getting drunk. When I'm experiencing God, I'm not thinking about a drunk. When I'm experiencing God, I'm experiencing all love and no opposite about giving back to others. Can't get drunk on the truth. I will on a lie, which is what the mind is dying to do. Give me a lie, so I bite. It's constantly throwing chum out, so I bite. And it doesn't care I do this a lot. It doesn't care I sponsor a bunch of men. It doesn't care. But always looking for a crack in the armor. And what am I going to do when it does come in? How do I treat that? Have I gotten so big for Alcoholics Anonymous that I can't sit down with someone and say, I don't feel right today? I don't feel good today. I'm feeling sad about something. I need to sit with you and cry on your shoulder. I need to share great joy with you. Have I gotten too big to do that? Because the ego will reconstruct, huh? And it won't tell me it is. So I look at chapter to the agnostics and it tells me how, where, and why to find this power. But I need to have a sponsor walking me through this. Great assignment to do in step two is make a list of where I believe God's working in my life. And where I think God is not working in my life. What am I willing to turn to God to have him fix? And what am I not willing to give to God to have him fix? And the reason why I'm not giving something to God to have him fix, because my mind's in charge of that, because it may not go the way I want, which means I still got my hands on the wheel, and the book is talking about letting go absolutely. What about when I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous a little while, and the drink isn't breathing down my back? but my behavior doesn't look like someone who's recovered. Am I willing to turn back to God and get restored to sanity for that as well? So I was. I was certainly willing in 1988 uh, when I found a sponsor in Brooklyn, a guy by the name of Tony N. And I remember going to him and I says, can you sponsor me? I heard him talking about a message that people in Minnesota were talking about. God, big book, 12 steps. God, big book, 12 steps. That's what they were talking about. And I got back to Brooklyn. I couldn't find it. And this one guy gets up to the podium and talks about God, big book, and steps. And I've been praying to my heavenly father, please show me a teacher. This guy gets up and gives a talk and I make a beeline for him. And he didn't say, oh, absolutely, let's go for coffee. You know what he said? Go home, read the first 164 pages of the big book and call me when you're done. I said, that's not how this works. (laughs) He showed me the big book, says we loaned him a copy of this book on the first visit, and the second visit, I was ready to go through this. And I read it in just a couple of days. I called him up, and he asked me a couple of questions. You think you're an alcoholic? You're licensed manager? Yes. You willing to go to us to get help? Yes. Is where we can begin. And he stopped marching me through this work. And he was a mad dog with the book. He challenged every contemporary AA meeting. He was not well-liked in Brooklyn, but all his stable of guys were getting recovered. And then we caught some heat. I'll take a little heat. I'll take, I'll take heat all day long. If it means helping someone and living with my truth, if I lie from here, that means I'm a liar. And if I lie to you over a cup of coffee, I'm a liar, regardless of my motives. Made a decision to turn my will and my life over this power called God, as I currently understand him. 
And this is one step. I mean, I've heard more things with this step than you can shake a stick at on how to turn it over. And it's really interesting in how it works. It tells us how to do it. It says just what do we mean by that and how do we do it. There's some considerations, though, on page 58, the big book. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. We read this at a million meetings. Fail at what? Sobriety, fail at God consciousness? Who has thoroughly followed our path? Am I one of those folks who have a sponsor who's going through this work as it's laid out in the book? Or am I picking and choosing? Am I delaying? Am I hanging out? Am I practicing pause with my fourth step? Those who do not recover or people cannot or will not give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And those are some of those folks who linger for years. Just won't buy our life. And why they do that, I don't know. I work with drunks. I presented them the book. I gave them considerations and they relapse. And they re They're the real deal. But why they can't buy into this, I don't know. That's why I feel so blessed that I was able to hook into someone and still be here almost 25 years later. They're naturally capable of grasping a, uh, developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. It demands, and that suggests rigorous honesty. Am I a man who lives with rigorous honesty? Not only cash register honest, am I honest in all my affairs? Or just the affairs that are convenient for me that make me look good? This whole book is about to set us up to turn everything back to God. Because when we say God is everything or God is nothing in chapter to the agnostics, it's everything, not just the things I think I need to turn back to God. And when we turn our will and life over to the care of God, it's not only the things that are causing me pain and suffering, it's the things that give me joy and pleasure. That goes to God. Because if I don't turn all of it to God with the pure intent, it's going to bite me at some point later, probably in four through nine, because I really didn't turn it over. I still had a hand on the steering wheel. Again, it's only through my complete destruction of self and a complete surrender was I, I, I saying, listen, my life's a mess, you take it. It's got to be better than what I'm doing. But if I'm sitting here and I'm attached to my new Cadillac or my relationship or my money and there are conditions on what this process is supposed to look like, I'm not going to be as thorough like they ask because I'm, my mind is doing the work and not me, not the spirit. Complete release here. How am I approaching this work? Am I still attached to things going through? It says that chances are less than average. There are those two who suffer from, from grave and emotional mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Grave emotional mental disorders. I was in AA a long time, and my sponsor sat me down. He said, you have a grave emotional mental disorder. I said, I'm not on medication. But I have the main problem for me as an alcoholic centers in a mind. That's my grave emotional mental disorder. I have a mind that will take me back to that which is killing me. 25 years sober and my mind is still looking to figure things out for its own benefit. Which kind of snowballs and makes more things easier for it to figure out. Once I let the mind figure out one problem, it wants to figure out five other problems and it owns me again. And I become a hostage to it again. Because I volunteer to step into that. A life which demands rigorous honesty. I'm honest in all I'm doing. Especially when it comes to God. I have the capacity to be honest. That my book just told me. Capacity. I have an eight ounce container of coffee. The container is fine. 
If I leave the coffee there for a year, you can't drink it in a year from now. It's become soiled. You'll get sick if you drink it. The container is fine. It needs to be poured out and refilled. The canister, the container that I walk with is fine. It's God created like yours. It's fine. A little older, a little couple more wrinkles and some gray. It's fine. But what I was walking around with was polluted. I didn't need to add anything. Everything I need to walk this journey from the day God brought me here, I've been given at birth. Every, God's not going to shortchange anyone in this room. But what we do is we start to acquire stuff. I start to acquire belief systems and ideas and resentments and fears and suddenly feel like I'm not equipped to go through life. And at that point, I can't live life on life's terms. So the canister's fine. What has been put in it is wrong. So I need to empty it all out. The capacity to be honest or filled with God's spirit. 4 through 9 is about the complete removal of everything and then reconciliation at the end of 9 to move into the world of the spirit where I'm made new from the inside out. I can't recreate myself in the flesh, but God can recreate me from the spirit which manifests out there. This is what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a long way from put the plug in a jug and don't drink and go to meetings and hang in there. Or make 90 meetings in 90 days. I can go on an hour and a half on that one. It doesn't appear in my big book. 90 meetings in 90 days. And, and somehow that replaced God in the 12 steps. We tell new people who's here back a week, just got a white chip, make 90 meetings in 90 days. They might as well tell them do 3,000 years of AA and hang in there. They can't get till midnight, some of them. I was one of them. 90 meetings in 90 days. It's Monday. I got two days back. What? Rather than, hey, you knew you need a sponsor? Yeah, can you sponsor me? Okay, good. Let's do some reading. Let's sit down. Let me give you something to go home with. Let me give you a prayer even to go home with. Let me show you doctor's opinion. Let me tell you what you suffer from so you go home with something instead of you. Right? Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like living life on self-will. We all know what that's about. We identify. That's our story. What happened to spiritual transformation? We hear less of that. And what it's like now living in a world of the spirit? We don't hear that at all, huh? How many times have we gone to a meeting here, drunk talk about where they currently are in the world of the spirit? Give you a great drunk block. And it's needed for identification. I need to know you speak my language, right? I know Eric. I know Pat. I, know, I don't know a bunch of you guys, but I know you. As soon as we share each other's story, identification. Okay, so how did you go from a fall-down drunk in the Bowery to where you are now? What happened and what it's like now? What are you doing to grow and understanding and affect it? That's really important. Huh? And that, what, it, what, what it's like now should be evolving, changing, growing a deeper connection with God, a deeper level of consciousness with, with this power called God. And instead of just turning it over as an act of surrender, as we did at the beginning, I'm gladly turning it over. I want to turn it over. I get to turn my life over to this, this power called God. I surrender to this power every morning. It's an, I'm broken, and I need the touch of God's hand in my life, so I surrender my life to God every day. And I back it up at night with a nightly review, and I call my sponsor every week and share my inventories. And I work with prayer and meditation three times a day. 
It's just my life. Middle of the day is a religious practice. I work with some things. And I sit in a meditation. And I will lock my office door. I'll get my car and go down to the water. It's a, it's a short process. I get my God break. And I'll work with these beads. I'll make some prayer. I'll sit in meditation and go back and kick butt at work. I awake and I close my day like that. I'm seeking this power called God. It's the only thing that's keeping me away from me. It's the thing that's keeping me away from a drink. And I get blessed with this. I ask God to show me what relationships to have and how to have them because my life is none of my business, which is what step three is talking about. It tells me here, am I willing to go to any length to get it? I can't start a spiritual process with the answer. I can't have conditions on what any lens is going to look like. Any lens is any lens, and that's going to change from time to time. Monday, any lenses do this. Tuesday, any lenses do that. Am I willing? Yes or no? Am I surrendering to this power? Whatever you got for me is better than what I was doing. And if the intent is pure, everything is a get to. I get to surrender to God. I get to go read my big book. I get to go talk to my sponsor. I get to go clean up a drunk. It's a get to. But specifically, what they tell us in step three is upon uh, uh, this third step prayer, when we complete it, immediately we launch onto a course of vigorous action, which is step four. That's how we really do step three, four through nine, to be rid of self. So how do we, how do we work with this power when we're in 10, 11, and 12, and we're surrendering to God, and we're turning to God because our life is none of our business? I've been divorced in recovery. I thought that wasn't supposed to happen to people like us. Right? In fact, I wrote out a great script for God to follow. <laughs> and I got divorced, and, and I, I got married for good and all. Grow old with this person, have children, the whole thing. And it blew up, and my, my ex-wife turns out to be one of us who doesn't want our help. And you know what that looks like, and it blows up. And I had to almost file for bankruptcy a few times. And I've gone through lots of changes in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to show you how God orchestrates stuff. And how in the surrender, Father, my life is none of my business. You run it. I'm working at, at a place, and I'm giving my blood. I'm doing 100-hour weeks. I'm not lying to 100-hour weeks, seven days a week, around the clock, build a place. And then at some point, you get kicked out like a bad habit, and you get ripped off. And these people try to steal from you. Caught red-handed. And I'm 50 years old. I'm sitting down at Jersey Shore. Losing a job is one thing. Violated and betrayed is something else. By people who claim to be in recovery. And I remember sitting on this bench down the Jersey Shore, and I'm weeping. Not because I lost a job. Because of the gross violation I felt. And I was stricken with fear. I'm 50 years old. Who's going to hire me? The only thing I know how to do is treatment center stuff. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a plumber. I, can't, I don't know how to fix a car. I not how to start a car. That's about it. I have no education compared to some of these. Who's going to take me at 50 years old? About a month went by. Well, what I did at that point was I called my sponsor. And we wrote some inventory. And I did lots of prayers for forgiveness. Just a lot of stuff. And was I going to turn it over right now? Was I going to turn back to this power called God? Was I willing to go through the work again? And I, yes, I was. And I remember saying, Father, my life is your business, not mine. But whatever you have, this is a little heavy for me right now. My back's against the wall. I'm not 25 anymore. I'm 50. I don't have a lot of money. Where do I go? I went to a meeting, and I worked with people, and my sponsor took me to the work. And I got to look at myself and the reemergence of ego and just a lot of things as we go through the work. I wasn't hanging in there. 
I start to experience some stillness and being right-sized again and making peace with my past so I can be present and move forward. I get a phone call from some folks that I've been doing business with for years. Anyone knows me knows I hate the cold weather. I love the warm weather. I wanted to move to Florida since I'm 10. Out of nowhere, they give me a call. He says, we heard what happened. How did you hear it? says, everyone heard. Would you come work for us? Where, in Florida? Yeah, come down. I meet my boss. He says, you just do what you do. I know what you do. You just do what you do. Here's the keys. Go. I'll bankroll it. Met the numbers. Next thing I knew, I moved down to Florida with six pieces of luggage, five were hair care products. Uh, <laughs> Six pieces of luggage. Right. Cost me a fortune. The rest of my stuff is in storage. My relationship was long gone. I got the money in my pocket. I don't know if this job's going to work. It better work. And I'm living in a haunted hotel on, on A1A. And um, they put me up in this hotel. It was, it was definitely haunted. There were things going on in the air. It was strange. And uh, then I moved into one of the our sober houses. I'm talking about humbling. I'm Pete. I'm from... New York, I'm a big shot. <laughs> I lived in a sober house with a tiny little bed. Tiny little bed, roll, roll over, you fall off, right? And my boss says, I know you need some money, so here. And a couple of weeks and says, I know you need some money, here, no questions asked. He didn't want blood for that. Well, it's over two years now, and I look back on it, while I was at this place, meetings down there were, were very frightening. They were scary. And what my clients were able to do, because I passed on what was given to me, go to these meetings with a big book, and then people started walking around with big books. And then they started a CA meeting in town. I don't even know if it's still there, but that's the influence from my teachers and from my God that I passed on to us, and the complexion of the town changed a little bit. And God says, enough I have other work now. You need to go somewhere else. And I look back on it. God orchestrated the thing perfect. I need to do some work here, and I'm going to put you where I want you. At a time, I couldn't believe that. It didn't feel good. But my thing was to surrender to this God. And what I've learned about this turning it over is that it's easy to be grateful for a banquet. God will serve us a banquet. Of course we're grateful. You serve a banquet for me. Of course I'm grateful. Can I be grateful when my belly's empty and my pockets are bare? Can I walk with a spirit of gratitude then? Can I walk with a spirit of gratitude even though I'm weeping through a divorce and I know God's got something better for me and for her? When I lose a job, I know God's got something better in plan for me. Can I walk with gratitude when there's nothing? And when I get moved from here to there, do I understand it's God moving me? When the intent I work with and the intent I treat people is pure, honest, unselfish, and loving, walking with this power called God, and God says, I need you with that awakened spirit, not to be on the West Coast, to be on the East Coast. I will supply you with the job. I will supply you with the home. And we go, wait a minute, I don't know anyone there. But what God needs is one of us to be a beacon unto others, to bring a little light to that community, whether in a grocery store, an AA meeting. But just our deportment touching the lives of others by saying, pardon me, you go first, rather than jumping ahead of people. Just little things like that. We don't have to be Moses parting the seas. It's just little things in our daily affairs. And God says, I need you there. 
And we say, oh my God, and we get there and we look back and we say, ain't this the coolest place? Ain't it so great? God moved me here. At the moment, we were getting tight. And part of the third step is this leap of faith. We hear about it all the time. The third step is a leap of faith. No, it is not a leap of faith. First of all, we're willing to do it because we're so desperate. And God's orchestrating the whole thing. Isn't God where I'm taking the leap from? Isn't God present where I'm about to leap? And isn't God on the other side where I land? Isn't God right in the middle where I'm leaping? And there is no gravity in God's world? There is no leap. It's just change. And we'd rather fight to the death than to change. There's greater pain in not changing than to change itself. When I'm leveled in step one and I got nothing else, and they say, turn everything over to God, there's nothing left. Sure I will. What do I got to lose? And that's how it's been for me. And what God did for me several times in recovery was removed. Removed the marriage, removed my money a few times, removed some jobs, and where did I go? Turn back to my God. I argued, I bargained, I debated, I was skeptical, and, and had, had doubt, but again, I says, Father, you just take it. The cup is heavy right now. I don't know if I can hold it, but I'm hoping you hold it, and he moves me right through. What do we do when there's thunderbolts? Because we're going to get them. What do we do when we find a windfall of money? We're going to get that. Whether it be $100 or a whole lot more, what do we do with the found money, the new relationship that has us euphoric? Do I forget where I come from? Go work with the drunk. So for me, step three has always been about, at the beginning, turning it over and four through nine. We have a third step prayer in our book. God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. When I first read that prayer, this was foreign language. We didn't talk like that where I come from. What does this prayer say? It's a beautiful prayer when we get to understand it. But our book says the wording was, of course, quite optional. It's really the intent at which I'm approaching this God that counts. If I never saw that prayer in my life and I hit my knees one day and say, if you're out there, please run my life. And the intent was pure. It's just as good as saying this prayer. But they give us a beautiful prayer. And what I've done every time through this work is wrote out the prayer word for word. And underneath it wrote out my interpretation of what this third step prayer is saying. What does it say in my language? Because the idea is to go from the page to the spirit. It has to resonate. The book has to become internalized. I need to be the book. And an exercise in intellect won't do it. But in awakening of the spirit, we have the conversion. So I would write it out word for word and my interpretation of it. So now the third step prayer made sense. And my sponsor, when we get on our knees, we still do it. Hold hands and do the third step prayer together. And then we start step four. I just want to show you one more thing on page 62. Here's what I suffer from. This is what's underground because the symptoms of, the, uh, of alcoholism is the drink. And just not drinking is not treating the illness. We, you know, you look at an iceberg in the water, maybe two miles wide and two miles deep and two miles high off the water. But underneath the surface, it might be 50 miles wide. We remove the drink. There's stuff underneath the surface that we need to go in. And it's only through what Myers is going to talk about, four and five, that we'll uncover, discover, and finally discard. Here it is. It says selfishness and self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our troubles. We are roots on a tree underground. Driven. Doesn't move me, doesn't lovingly guide me, it drives me. By a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-seeking, and self-pity, we step in the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. 
I'm driven by me. I hurt you. You strike back at me. And I say, what's your problem? <laughs> right? Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, I made a decision based on me, which put me in a position to be hurt. I can't see that with my own mind. We all have ears on our head, right? But you can't see your ears. You know they're there. I can see your ears. You can see mine. The illness is the same thing. I can't see it. You can. You can when you're having me do a four-step and you stop pointing out things to me in step five, saying, don't you see the pattern here? You see how you operate? You can't live life on life's terms? I can't see that until I do this. And going to a meeting, I still can't see because we can hide out in a meeting. You go to a home group this big, you can hide out easy. Just front real well, look real good, couple of handshakes, couple of hugs, make out you're concerned about their drama, and sit down and leave. And they say, oh, he's doing great. But when I have a sponsor at that home group and he eyeballs me when I come in, he knows how I'm doing just by looking at me. What's wrong? I'm fine. No, you're not. I see my clients every day. As soon as they walk into group, I, God, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I read people pretty good. Guy sits down. What's wrong? Nothing. By the end of the group, he's crying. He's putting his fist through a wall. I thought, are you okay? <laughs> we front well. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Thank God. Otherwise, I have to go around chasing, changing the planet. They arise out of myself, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. Unmanageability is an internal condition. Perceptions of situations cause me pain and suffering, not the reality of a situation. It's how I process stuff, how I interpret it. It has to be completely flipped. We have to flip in here. That 180 we talking about, we literally mean a 180. The person who walks in the door, me, with the perceptions and conceptions about everything, including God, have to be flipped. Not just a little bit, but completely. And 4 through 9 will put a big dent in that. What I've learned is going through 4 through 9 one time is going to help a whole lot. But I did that for about 10 years in recovery, and I started to hit a wall. I didn't even know my ego had started to build up again. But when I go through the work at least once a year, twice a year, successful living from daily dying, the ego gets grinding to dust, and I get freer. Right? Well, this is where it starts. Above everything, we must be rid of selfishness. We must or it kills us, and God's going to make it possible. There often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without God's aid. Skip down a little bit. It says this. This is the how and why of it. First, we had to quit playing God. Put a little word in there called why. It answers it. It didn't work. <laughs> It'll show me. This work's going to show me how I've been playing God in every area of my life. Third step, considerations. He's the principal. We're his agents. What does a principal do? Represents the agent. Right? A star athlete or entertainer has an agent. That agent goes out and represents that star. Goes out and makes deals. Represents. Speaks on behalf of that star. Comes back and tells the star, you want this or not? And he says, yes or no. We are agents for God. Do you see this huge responsibility? We represent God. How am I doing with that task? He's the father. We're his children. Most parents will give their life for their own children and love them unconditionally. 
even when they're problematic, they're our children. We will do anything for our children. Right? God loves me unconditionally. What most of us do, I love you, honey, unconditionally on the condition you meet all my conditions. That's how we usually operate. Right? God just loves us because he made us. We're physical extensions of that power, which is non-physical. We forget that. Can't be literally disconnected from God. When we say gain the world and lose your soul, it's not that we literally lose our soul, but we lose touch with it and what it feels like, what it looks like. But it's always present. And it's by the removal of self that we start to get soul food. And that's why that same person who seemed doomed to die from alcoholism one year later, six months later, 90 days later, is an upstanding member of this fellowship and pillars in their own little family of their community. You say, how does that happen? This makes no sense. They came in the door, we 12-step Joe, and he's doing so good with his life. Makes no sense. The spiritual life makes no sense to a thinking mind. And God's path is crooked with a lot of turns. And we think God's path is straight. But it's always divine at the other end. It makes no sense. The thinking mind's trying to figure out this third step, but can't. What do you mean? Just turning it over, your life changes, and writing some stuff on paper? I've had people tell me, what do you mean? You just write your story on paper about things you're angry with, and you get better? And I say, yeah, it's a start. That's impossible. Yeah, to your mind. But coming to an AA meeting, I'll show you thousands that it works for. Doctors want to give you, you're depressed, here's a pill, take a pill. When I was coming up in treatment, and I was a patient. Thank God the doctors didn't prescribe stuff. Can't sleep. You won't die from a lack of sleep. Anything else? <laughs> now you can't sleep. I got a bushel of medicines for you. They told me you need to do steps. You need to pray. You need to get a sponsor. You need to get right spiritually. He's the father, we're his children. Then it says, when I took this position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. I had a new boss, being all powerful. God provides me what I need if I keep close to him, perform his work well. It will when I do and won't when I don't. And not that God's not giving me, I can't hear if I'm not clear. Established on this footing, I became, watch this, less and less interested in me, my plans and designs, and more and more, I become interested in you and what I can give back. There's the shift. 62 is I'm consumed with me and the hope is the promise is it's going to be little by slowly less about me and more about giving back am I willing to live along those terms yes close it up with a third step prayer that's my contract an affirmation of willing to live along these terms most of us think the third step prayer the third step is a third step prayer the considerations are what I just read am I willing to do this and only through step one and willingness am I going to do this Everything goes back to step one. Everything. How can I meet God when I'm playing God? And I can get caught up in meetings and doing a lot of things, and sometimes I can't experience God, not from a lack of effort. It's too much effort. I'm too busy doing stuff. And sometimes I just need to stop, follow directions, and wait. Huh? And Miles will take us into four later. That's all I got. Peace. Thank you.